In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. This weekend, Father Sina and I started doing interviews for those about to be confirmed. And the confirmation mass to take place here November 7th, underneath the new blue cupola with the Holy Spirit in the top, will be a fitting, um, uh, a fitting moment to celebrate the great sacrament of the descent of the Holy Spirit. As you've heard before in different ways, but it always bears repeating, when you were baptized... You were given the grace of God, sacramental grace, for your sanctification. And when you were confirmed, you were given the grace, sacramental grace, for the the sanctification of others. These two sides of the coin of being a Christian go hand in hand. It's, in fact, impossible to understand our relationship with God that brings us into his heavenly company without understanding the imperative to evangelize others, to, make, to extend this invitation to other people. Realizing the significance of both sacraments occasions the opportunity to reflect on the fact that not everyone goes to heaven. In fact, baptism is necessary for salvation. And sadly, a lot of people we know won't go to heaven if they die in their current state of being. On the way home, whether we stop at the store or not, We'll determine if we see dozens of people or hundreds of people, maybe thousands of people this evening. And consider how many of them, if they die right now, will not go to heaven. As a Christian, it should make us sad. And also motivated to try to do something about that. Consider another layer of understanding these sacraments of baptism and confirmation. In baptism, you are not just simply the recipient of a grace that washed you from sin. You are the beneficiary of an act of adoption, whereby you became an adopted child of God. And from that moment forward, heaven is not only offered to you as a possibility, heaven has been reserved for you as your inheritance. You then became a member of God's noble family. And heaven, therefore, isn't a reward for good behavior. It's nothing that anyone could ever earn, no matter how nice they are. Heaven belongs to those who are members of God's family. To those who allow God to no longer just be their creator, but their adoptive father. Heaven, therefore, is ours as an inheritance 
and then only lost through our own deliberate sin, through mortal sin. We see then this gospel reading portraying heaven and the invitation to heaven through the lens of a wedding banquet. Not as something earned, but as something that can be lost. The invitation is universal. The, univer- the invitation went out to some at first, and then it went out to everybody to belong to the household of God. And to decline this invitation is to say, I don't want to be in union with God now or ever. To accept the invitation, but only partially. And not to respond to it with an appropriate attitude of gratitude. Shows that we don't. We don't accept it on his terms. We're interested in accepting the offer on our terms. And so then we, we recognize the claim of some who would criticize those Christians who think that they are trying to earn their way into heaven. They have a point to a degree. But they go overboard when they try to insist that it doesn't matter what you do. As St. Paul teaches us, faith and works go hand in hand. And St. James makes an exclamation mark. It's impossible to have faith without works. But we're not earning it. We're revealing the fact that we understand the invitation that's been given us. We're living up to the noble dignity that's been given us by by adoption, by baptism. To refuse to do so is to refuse to accept the Holy Spirit. The children getting ready for confirmation were encouraged to consider the fruits of the Holy Spirit, all 12 of them, as an examination of conscience. If we have a good relationship with the Lord... These will be our characteristics, charity and kindness and gentleness and modesty and chastity, long-suffering. To accept this invitation of a life in God on His terms means that we will put no obstacle between us and the work of the Holy Spirit. And what is guaranteed is that we will be transformed. We will be changed. Not just into a nice person. But into an extraordinary creation of God. An accomplishment of His grace. Someone who deserves to be called holy. This universal call to holiness isn't a creation of the 20th century. It's the gospel. And there are many saints who have written about it. The first person to write a book for the sake of all the faithful, 
to instruct them in how to become holy, St. Francis de Sales. And the introduction of the devout life is a fitting um, reading assignment. If you haven't read it, please do. But most of us came to know about this universal call to holiness through the Second Vatican Council, the 50th anniversary of which is being celebrated. Today being the first feast day of Pope Saint John Paul, John the 23rd, October 11th. Canonized earlier this year with Pope Saint John Paul II. Pope John knew that the tradition and the faith of the church needed to be extended to the whole world. He also knew well the problems afflicting the church within, especially in the offices of the Vatican. And on his deathbed, he urged Pope Paul VI to conclude the council as quickly as possible because things could easily get out of hand. But one of the fruits of the council is everyone's understanding that everyone is called to be a saint. Not just nuns, not just priests, not just monks and sisters, every one of us. But what might not have gotten across effectively is that this is who we are by God's design. If we do not put an obstacle between us and God's grace, this is who we will become. Some of us have heard about this universal call and perhaps think that it's a universal urging of everyone to go above and beyond the call of duty. That's what we associate with holiness or becoming a saint. And that would actually destroy the message of Jesus. Becoming a saint isn't going above and beyond the call of duty. Becoming a saint is what happens when we just give our heart to God and make no obstacle and respond completely with generosity and simplicity and humility. It's God's work, not our accomplishment. Whenever Mother Teresa hopefully will become a saint one day soon. Whenever Mother Teresa would see a priest, she almost always told him, get out of the way of God's grace. It's a good message, but it's a good message for all of us. Being patient with the people who hate us, loving the people who, who try to end your career, that's not just for people who are trying to reach for the stars. That's the minimum of being a Christian. Where does it begin? It doesn't begin with knowing that, okay, this is my duty. In addition to the rest of my duties, these are now my duties. I have to love everyone. Rather, it begins with understanding that Jesus died for my sins 
and that God forgives me. And if I accept this forgiveness, I can't refuse to forgive others. If God loves me like this, and if I accept His love, then I I have to love others likewise. It begins in recognizing what God has already done for us, what He has prepared for us, that to which He invites us, and being overwhelmed by His love, and realizing that I can't merely thank Him, but He's asking me to become like Him. He makes it possible for me to become a perfect image and likeness of God. It's His very purpose to make me worthy of the company of the angels and saints, to fit in perfectly in the communion of the Holy Trinity. So perhaps with a a ceiling that reminds us that heaven is close by and that this is all the work of the Holy Spirit, maybe that'll help. If not, it'll help us grow in patience, at the very least. But to become holy is no option. So pray, I encourage you, for the young ones who are about to be confirmed. They understand their call and their dignity, the dignity they already own by baptism. And the noble work of extending that invitation to others, which will become theirs and is already ours by the grace of God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.